everyone. It is Friday, the 12th of June, 2020. And this is episode 12 of The Way It Is, the official Bobby Galinsky podcast. 12th episode, 12th of June, numerologically all adding up to threes. So if you're going to buy a lottery ticket, use that prime number three and multiples thereof. Because Jupiter has been very powerful this week, for those of you Mystic Medusa fans, the rest of you that just tuned in for the first time, what the, what's he talking about? Um, very excited. Never start with um, but I start with um. Um, very excited for our new listeners. And we have listeners now in Germany and Argentina and across the Middle East. Um, I guess when I kind of wished, when I wished a uh, volcano or earthquake on Pakistan with a chuckle, um, and that was a bit of a chuckle, as we know, you know, because I don't have a bad bone in my body. Well, maybe three out of 202. That's not bad. I suddenly got some followers, subscribers in the Middle East. We'll see how this one turns out. Anyway, and lots, lots of new subscribers. I'm so grateful for that. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It has been freaking cold here all week. It's been down to like one, two and three degrees centigrade, which is like, you know, 35, 36, 37 Fahrenheit, there's been ice on the windscreens, um, not meth, ice, you know, frozen water, unless you live in Richmond or Bakersfield um, or Brixton, but uh, ice on the windscreens in uh, some areas, and it has been winter, but it's been fantastic because it gets put out the nice, warm, amazing coats for the morning walk. I just love that. I love winter. My wife and I both love winter. Anyway. How are you? Rhetorical question. Like I care. Um, I do care. I do care. Sometimes you don't know really whether I'm being serious or not. People that have followed this from episode one. But I do care. I care so much that I've even had a couple suggestions along the way, um, including um, the amazing Jen Marie, my son's partner, and Sean Waterford, um, Kirk Davies in London, and the Wolfram, Wolf Ebel in Germany suggesting put this on video. Well, I am going to put it on video, but, but, caveat, I'm going to start with the audio tracks on YouTube so that you can listen on YouTube, and then I will eventually try some video and see see how we go. I know I'm going to look good, and it's not narcissistic, but I know I am because I've given nine-hour workshops hundreds of times and two-hour workshops and everything like that. And nobody runs out going, he's too ugly. Not that I'm, you know, Tom Cruise, not Tom Cruise or, um, you know, two of the three Hemsworth brothers. We know which two. But um, I know that I'll, I'll pass. I'll pass. I just have that quirky look that you'll, you'll, you'll come to love. Not handsome, just quirky. But not quirky like Paul Giamatti. Don't want to be that. That's like the ugliest white man in film. See, I can say ugliest white man. I can't say ugliest Asian or ugliest black or anything like that. This week, can I? Because that would just be racist. Whereas for me, it would be descriptive, but someone would call out racist. So I do have to get in. This is never a political show. I always do have a little political segment, but something we're going to get in and get off our chest right now, because you're listening to me on your phone, in your car, at the gym, in the brothel, at the crack house, in your palace, on the golf course, 
walking. Uh, you could be the king of Elwood walking through Elsternwick Park, Sam Gaiman. Sam, I'll be seeing you for lunch within the next week. Very excited. We haven't had a lunch since before the pre-fascist Ubersarfuhrer lockdown from Daniel Andrews. But you have the freedom to listen and be safe wherever you are listening to me or with your families or on your own or wherever. And the reason, at least if you're in the U.S., the U.K., or here in Australia, I can't vouch for all the other countries some people are in, but mostly these three countries, you have the freedom to be safe and listen because it's a pretty safe bet that not only will tomorrow be a better day, no matter what kind of day you're having, but that the odds are nobody's going to come up and want to fucking kill you or break into your house or kill your children or abduct them or burn your house down or shake you down for money at your business and torch it. And do you know why that is? There's only one answer. That's the police. That is the thin line that our police that we pay for with taxpayer money afford for us. Now, it, it goes without saying, unless you live in Iraq, not under Iraq, but live in Iraq, not in Iraq, but in a rock, that you know what's been going on the past couple of weeks. And there's been amazing stories of peaceful protests. There's been amazing stories of peaceful protesters that have tried to stop looters and Antifa and criminals and stuff and have protected people, um, even people maybe doing the wrong thing, that have pr protected people from violence because they just wanted it to be a peaceful protest in the name of George Floyd, who was ostensibly murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, really no question about, I mean, until a court of law really, you know, finds him guilty, there's always a question, but for all practical purposes, murdered. And a lot of people are murdered in custody. A lot of black people are murdered um, by the police. We know that. Okay. Let's, but to go from that and trying to fix that and trying to divert some money, divert, big word, divert some money from our police departments into social services, mental health care, first responders of nonviolent things that don't require a cop or a gun or anything like that. That's all well worth discussion. And I think a really good idea because the world is evolving. But to defund and dismantle and make no mistake about it, there are a lot of people, not some crazy naked guy barking at the moon, but there are a lot of people on record in interviews, on TV, that want to completely defund and completely dismantle your, my police departments and start without them. That is the most suicidal, maniacal, insane, fucked up, without question, bad idea in the history of God. And I'm sorry to use language like I had to, but I had to accentuate, and I can't be censored. It's my show, and I already have adult content on Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. Who do you think, 
Who do you think protects firemen when they're at a fire? Oh, all we need is firemen, but who's going to protect them? When some naked drug-crazed guy with knives and weapons is in front of your house, oh, we don't need the police, we just need the ambulance. Well, who is going to protect the ambulance, the EMT, EMS, depending on what country you're in? People, who does that? When, when you need someone who's armed to protect you, who's that going to be? Is Black Lives Matter going to come? Is Antifa going to come? Um, the Avengers? Those are lines that I lifted from Dan Bongino. I didn't originate those, but they're so good. And as he would say, a hat tip. But get real, folks. Get real. If you think that you're going to be safe and your houses will be safe and your families and children will be safe and you'll have property worth 10 cents and the world will run properly and you'll be able to get to work, and get home from work and know that your wife or husband and kids, mom, grandma, uncle, son, whatever, are safe, you cannot do that without a police force. You cannot. It's a, you're living in fantasy land. Do you think bad people are just suddenly go, oh, there's no police. Let's just be good. Let's be good and wear rainbows and, and colors and, and be nice. Let's just be like Haight-Ashbury in the 60s which was an absolute toilet and still is a toilet, um, although it had a couple of good bands back then and Bill Graham. Folks, get with it. Revamp the police departments? Yes. Review them and see where there's waste and see where you can improve them and cut violence? Yes. Eliminate the amount of people killed in custody and black people killed by officers, not always white officers, black officers, Yellow officers, green officers, pink officers, yes. But dismantle the police department. If you believe that, please do not even listen to my podcast. Because one thing I pride myself on is I've got really good-looking, really smart people from all persuasions. And I don't want some dumbass, completely moronic, stupid psychopath listening to my podcast. You're wasting pixels. You're, you're wasting air. Just, just defund your computer right now. And by the way, I do mean people of all persuasions and both, and both sides, because we're not enemies. We are not enemies. Even if you're the most far-left person at all with a little semblance of logic, we're opponents politically. We may think different on climate change. We may think different on schooling and school laws. We may think different on zoning, on policing, on a millions of things. But if you live here, I pay taxes for your right to say that. As a U.S. citizen, I pay taxes for your right to say that. As a British citizen, my wife's British. I love the English. Um, the Magna Carta did kind of originate over there. Um, freedom is an English thing to start with even though they messed it up and we had to start the U.S. But I will fight for your right to party. I will fight for your right to say what you want and to have ideas. You're my political opponent in that case. You are not my enemy. But when you start to make us your enemy, that is when the tables change. That is when the tables turn. All right. Whew. Man, I've been waiting a couple of days to lambaste Anybody that thinks that, and, and people always come back and go, oh, no, we're, we're just talking about 
defunding and, and getting some more mental health officers. Yeah, 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 that's fine. That's all that. But who is going to carry the gun and protect you or protect them when they need to be protected? You can't get rid of the police force. Defund hospitals. Doctors kill people all the time. Defund nurses. Defund schools. Defund your family. Your, your kids don't need you because chaos and anarchy is when you destroy the family, destroy belief in God. Yeah, you can be, you don't have to have belief in God, but be a bit lo logical. I don't care what your faith is, but when you lose faith in God, faith in family, faith in organization, faith in education, and faith in civilization, then what is there to live for? Okay. So that's not doom and gloom. That's just advice. I know my wife says I preach too much. I had to get that off my chest. Had to get that off my chest, as Kim Basinger would have said in nine and a half weeks. But we will now move into happiness, butterflies, kittens, and windmills and bells. And one of the bright, nice things is discovering something just by accident. And uh, just recently, in fact, the uh, last couple of weeks, uh, my wife, as you know, is English. She loves to watch the UK channels on Foxtel. So I get sucked into a lot of the British dramas. And the, and the Brits do amazing dramas. Some of them can get pretty turgid. And you see a lot of the same actors recycled over and over again. But they're so brilliant that you, you lose yourself in the shows until about, you know, the third, fourth, fifth episode. And you go, oh, I remember him from or I remember her from. They just absolutely envelop the character. And in one of these shows, which we were watching on Foxtel here, um, which was released on HBO in the US, and I'm not quite sure where in the UK, is White House Farm. Now, people that grew up in the UK might remember in 1985, White House Farm was a very famous multiple slain of an entire family. The 6th of August, 1985, in Essex, when um, a couple grandparents, their daughter, and their daughter's six-year-old twins, a total of five people, were shot and killed in the house. Now, the only surviving members of the family was an adopted son named Jeremy Bamber, and he was 20 years, 24 years old at the time, and he claimed he'd been at home a few miles away when, when the shooting took place. So you have five people brutally murdered. Uh, in fact, the, the grandfather was beaten and then shot in the head seven times. Um, you know, the kid shot absolutely annihilated. And this was a huge, huge case in the UK. There were two books that were written about it. I haven't had the opportunity to read either, but but I th think I certainly will after after watching this. Anyway, so I'm walking through the lounge room and the show is on. And it's like, I'm thinking, oh, it's another English drama that my wife is sucked into. But right away, just, just walking past the TV, got absolutely sucked into it. And the the cast, which includes Freddie Fox, who plays Jeremy Bamber, uh, who is the son of Sir Edward Fox, who everyone knows from Day of the Jackal, Guns of Navarone, um, Gandhi, things like that. Freddie Fox plays Jeremy Bamber. And he's the super erudite, arrogant, good-looking 24-year-old um, who can so hold a room. and But yet he ostensibly has nothing to do with the murders, but in a plot twist, which I'm not going to give everything away, turns out to 
eventually be a suspect. So this show, uh, it also features Gemma Whelan, as well as Alfie Allen, who played brother and sister in Game of Thrones. He's the one that um, had his member cut off. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's bizarre to see them both in the, in the show, because once you realize, oh, he's the, this is the brother and sister from Game of Thrones, but you lose them right away because uh, their characters are so, are so rich. And one of my favorites, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham, who played the short gangster in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. He's in Snatch. Uh, he's been in a hundred things. But uh, he plays a semi-bad cop um, police commander. And everyone is just fantastic. But what I love about this show is it takes you back to 1985. The cars, the clothing, the wallpaper, everything. The, the detail of this series is so amazing that you're you're right back into that year. And in that year, in 1985, I was actually, uh, I'd come back to Sioux City, Iowa for a stint with my brother at the uh, foundry and then moved down to Sanibel Island, Florida after that, which um, was a huge transition and uh, an idyllic island life for a while. But anyway, into 1985, again, um, the series was also directed by Paul Whittington, who's a uh, pretty steady British director. I can't say anything really that's been mind-blowing, but one of the things that was stunning is, unbeknownst to me, lo and behold, um, an old acquaintance named Chris Merksa, a Melbourne boy, wrote the series, adapted the series from the novels, and, uh, and wrote it. Now, Chris has been known locally for uh, uh, winning awards with one of the episodes from the Tim Winton anthology, The Turning. He has written episodes of Underbelly, uh, which was a fantastic crime series here in Australia, the first series, and um, Pack to the Rafters, a very popular series, um, East West 101, and Secret Life of Us, which was a great, great ensemble, ensemble piece. He also wrote The Slap, which was very popular, but I hated The Slap. It um, revolved around a, a child that was just out of control that got slapped at a big barbecue and how it was viewed in uh, the drama that circled around the dozens of people that were there. Um, personally, the child should have been beaten within an inch of his life and make it a 15-minute show and not uh, a long series. I hated The Slap, and it was way too multicultural and all over the shop, but it was very well written. I just hated it. Um, however, but this is like just a whole level above um, and just, just blew me away. Chris, by the way, and I'm going to say this because I'll bet no one has ever done this for him. His surname, Merksa, is M-R-K-S-A. There is no vowel in there. So if you go to search him, don't type in M-I-R. So apparently his parents left the vowel out or he wanted the most difficult Scrabble name or unforgettable surname ever. But his work on this is amazing, and uh, he is an acquaintance, um, transparency there. But I hadn't seen him in many, many years, so it was just wonderful to see that on there. And what he's done, and as a, a writer, this is something where I always come from this direction, is he's taken a very, what could be a typically maudlin, you know, murder story, and he has really developed not only the who done it. But the why done it? Because with the family and the distended family and the difficulty with the police and bad cops and one amazingly good cop who was dedicated to finding out what happened to this family. A beautiful, beautiful portrayal. But this was like pre-DNA. This is like pre 
forensic evidence. It's 1985, um, fax machines, but no internet. So it's just right on that cusp of before technology. And the amazing challenge is putting this into a four-part series to suck you into the family, realize that one of the family's um, members that the murder was originally blamed on uh, was a daughter who was schizophrenic. And there was the task of making sure that she did or did not kill everyone and then turn the gun on herself. And there's quite a few twists and, twists and turns. I can't say it's the most original thing ever. It's not meant to be a twist and turn thing. But the way the layers of the onion are peeled off and you get to the heart of the story all the time, never forgetting that this was a family that was murdered and who could do that and why would they do that? And of course, like in, in any murder, either anger, revenge, or money is an issue, but there's just quite a bit of nuance in here. And uh, if you're, you're looking for something out of the blue, that's not going to get a lot of press and not going to get, you know, millions of dollars of marketing behind it, get into this for one hours, and I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Well done, Chris. And just sharing that I'm not reviewing this because um, I know Chris from way back. It's just that it's, it's stuck with me the, the whole past week since I've seen it. Uh, I thought about it every day, and I like things like that, uh, things that really transport you in time. El segno de un buon narratore e quando dimentici che non è reale e diventi un tufiono con la storia. The sign of a good storyteller is when you forget that it's not real and you become one with the story. I'd like to hope that you become one with that story, and I hope that when I'm sharing things with you on this podcast, you're sitting there right next to me, and it's just that fireside chat or a drink at the bar, and it's just the two of us. And uh, I'm, I'm curious where you do listen to this. I did, I did mention that earlier, so... Um, I'd actually like to have a little bit of a competition here. I'm not sure what I'm going to give away, but I am going to at least post it on Instagram and on the show notes. But send photos of where you listen to the podcast. If you're out for a walk, do a selfie out in the, the forest or the beach or the street or the gym or whatever, um, in your lounge room, by the fire, uh, you know, wherever you are. If you could shoot a photo of you listening to the podcast and send it to Bobby at apexfeline.com. That's Bobby at A-P-E-X-F-E-L-I-N-E.com. And I'll post those and we have some type of giveaway or something like that. You know, if you listen to it in bed, send pictures. Well, okay, let's let's think that one through. Um, don't send anything that you shouldn't. You know, if you're fully clothed under the covers, you know, then you can do that. But govern yourselves accordingly. Send away. And speaking of sending things and technology, I got to say, I don't know what your experience was, and there's a lot of astrological things at work here, but last week was one of the most technologically difficult weeks I have had in a long, long time. The internet went out, which is like electronic chemotherapy suddenly. I go absolutely mental. The Foxtel, which is our uh, cable network here, went out. The uh, Apple TV went out. 
Uh, it, it was just a pantheon of technological nightmares for, for two days. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's a beautiful way of just kind of disengaging and digitally detoxing. Well, you know what? I've had enough detoxing in my life. I don't need any digital detoxing. It was a very, very challenging couple days. That's kind of my hot button. You can call me up and say, oh, the house is on fire and um, everyone's been taken to the hospital or they're dead. I go, wow, okay. But if you say the internet's out, oh my God. Oh my God, what am I going to do? So that's something that I need to work on. We all have something to work on. Now, some of you actually might be new listeners. I know we get new listeners New listeners. I'm going to have a speech therapy seminar after this. New listeners. New listeners every week. And I like to say that this is the voice of reason in a very unreasonable world. And each week, this becomes more truth. More truth, unfiltered, and the world becomes more unreasonable. But what I like to feel that you're going to get out of this and I suppose this would be something to open the show with at some point, is that for a new listener is you're going to make a friend for an hour or 45 minutes, whatever it runs. And you're going to hear stories that are true from around the world, from the entertainment industry and my life, things like that. Not that my life's any more important than yours or anyone's, but it's been quite interesting and quite varied. And uh, I've had some absolutely wonderfully inspiring moments I try and share. I've had some wonderfully delightfully catastrophic train wrecks I like to share. And a good story just takes you out of the moment and places you into a different moment. So at the end of the day, thinking, what am I going to get out of sitting down and listening to this or, you know, even listening to it in five minute blocks at the gym over a week is you get some information, you'll get some inspiration, you'll get some scares, you'll get some laughs. And I hope you walk away from it with uh with a better feeling than when you started it, that it was worth your time. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. Now, in thinking of, speaking of scares and laughs, I have a story I'd like to share that um, combines both, a bit of a parfait. And it kind of came to me today, a very strange, very strange way. I was hearing ads on TV for Father's Day. Now, Father's Day in the U.S. is um, coming up in... Uh, Two weeks. Father's Day here in September doesn't happen till September. But uh, a, one of those Facebook things popped up. You know, here's a post from a year ago or three years ago, whatever. And it was uh, from two years ago from my late son, Chris Galinsky. And it was a post about how I'd adopted him. And it was um, the luckiest moment of his life. And it was a very emotional post. And it really made me think all uh, about him, who he passed away last August, as many of you know. And this will be the first Father's Day in the U.S. that his kids won't have him around. And got very emotional about that, just kind of one of those weird things that came up. But as a person that always looks on the bright side, and Chris was always on the bright side, I have to share this story, which I was going to share for a Father's Day show. I was going to share it for Halloween, but I thought, no, that's a bit too predictable. That's like, you know, a Valentine's Day ad on Valentine's. So I thought I'd share it with you now. Uh, back in 1982, a film came out that was an adaptation 
of Stephen King's short stories that was called Creep Show. And it was directed by George Romero, the late George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Monkey Shines, many great films, absolute legend and pioneer in the horror genre. Legend pioneer. Night of the Living Dead started it all in, uh, in our lifetime here. And he was also a neighbor of mine in Sanibel Island, Florida, which is a lovely island that uh, is a north-south island as opposed to an east-west island, the way it falls off the, uh, the Gulf Coast of Florida. And my kids were very young then. Stevie was uh, one, and Chris was like uh, five. And I took Chris to see Creepshow. Now, this was a significant horror film at the time, and everyone would say, you don't take a kid under 10 to see anything like this, maybe even under 13. But Chris had seen the ad on TV, and he says, Daddy, can we see that? I go, oh, yeah, of course, no problem. And, of course, there was the naysayers, like, you know, his late mother and things like that. So you can't take a five-year-old to a horror movie. You go, of course I can. He needs to man up. Needs to see things. So, of course, I took him. And if you remember the film, it was fucking scary. Anyway, he totally lost his mind in the film and and freaked out. And uh, there was a wonderful scene in there where E.G. Marshall is in a room and all these bugs come out of his mouth, millions of bugs, and cover, cover the carcass. And Chris was quite disturbed about that. Now, this was just before Halloween also, which is, for those of you not in the U.S., is the biggest holiday year. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger than Easter. Halloween in the U.S. is an experience. Quintessentially American. Forget the Druids. Forget Day of the Dead. And Dio de los Muertos. This is big. And, of course, the house was being decorated. It had lots of things and cobwebs and spiders and coffins that opened and everything. And that night, as I put Chris to bed, he was still freaked out of his little five-year-old mind. And uh, for the first time in quite a while, he said, Dad, can you leave the light on? I said, yeah, I can leave the light on. And I said, okay. I can tell he's a little bit disturbed. He's lying in bed. I go, he goes, it was all just a movie, wasn't it? I go, yeah. I'd... By and large, it was all just a movie. All just a movie. Night, night. It says, night, night, Dad. Love you, Chris. Love you, Dad. So I'm walking out of the room I just suddenly go, whoa, what was that? And he kind of bolts up in bed. <laughs> he says, what was that, Dave? And I said, oh, nothing, Chris. I just thought I heard something from underneath your bed. That's all. Good night. Anyway, I walked down the hall. Anyway, he gets to sleep, but, oh, several hours later, I'm still up. Um, I was always up late. I never slept back then. And I hear this kind of whimpering and crying. Stevie was like one years old. He was in his crib or bassinet or wherever we put him at the time, <laughs> in the boot of the car, uh, trunk of the car back then. And I hear this whimpering. This <laughs> anyway, I, I go in the Chris's room, and he's just tossing and turning, tossing and turning. He's just like flailing. And I can tell he's having a really bad nightmare. Now... Most of me thought, Jesus, I shouldn't have taken him to that movie. However, the part of me, the part of me that drives me to do this podcast, the part of me that makes me look at someone crossing the street and wonders how much more interesting it would be to see a tram hit them 
than to wave at them. Thought, this is an opportunity. And I went down to the living room where I had this giant, like, five-pound bag of plastic bugs, insects, that were going to be used to decorate for Halloween. You can see where I'm going here now. The smart people. Not they're the smart people that listen to this podcast. And anyway, I went up to his room. I pulled the covers back. And I opened the bag. And I poured the entire contents of this bag. I mean, it was like a bucketful of bugs all over him. And then I pulled the covers back up to his neck. And then I stood there over him like a nice father, like a doting father, for a couple of minutes. And part of me said, don't do it. But you know, you know, yes, you do, that the other part of me, the part of me that always wins, said do it. And so I bent down to the bed, and I grabbed him, and I went, Chris, Chris, Chris. And he wakes up and goes, ah, ah, ah. And he goes, Dad, I go, yeah, yeah. And then I flip on the light, the bed light. He's still completely in deep REM. His eyes are open. He sees the room. He sees me, but he's asleep. I go, it's okay, Chris. You were just having a bad dream. And I whipped the covers off of him and looked down. And he looked down and saw himself completely covered in bugs. And in the space of maybe nine seconds, he screamed at the top of his lungs and shut the bed. It was absolutely epically biblical. So bad as I'm even telling this now, but I know he loved it, I think. Well, he used to talk about it a lot. I think it affected him a lot. And uh, it was a defining moment in our father-son relationship. So I just thought I'd share that with you. And it's interesting to note that my late son, Chris, who I love dearly, never, ever, ever liked bugs after that and had an almost pathological fear of insects from that time forward. I'm just doing this as kind of a shout out to him. Chris, I miss you. And I know that wherever you are up there, you still think this is funny. The rest of you might think you will never listen to this podcast again. Certainly not have me as your babysitter, which is fine, because I will never babysit. Nothing worse than that. Uh, but I don't know. It popped into my head today, and uh, I thought I'd share that. Now, speaking of things that also popped into my head, people, you're probably wiping the sweat off your brow now and go, man, he was fucked up. I was remembering, we were talking about the police at the beginning of this episode and defunding the police and breaking apart the police department apartment. And, you know, in that seven, 17 minutes since I talked about that, we've also seen all these movies coming, you know, out of rotation, off of streaming, um, things that had blackface in it, Gone with the Wind, uh, Chris Lilly, all kinds of things. The world is just ending. People pulling down statues. If you're in Sioux City, get ready for somebody to behead Abraham Lincoln in uh, Grandview Park or at Central High School. It is absolutely out of control. I'm going to talk about that next week after I settle down before uh, before I load the AK-47. Anyway, 
I was remembering a couple of good police, because the only cops that I remember when I was growing up was a fellow named Mr. Beta, Ephraim Beta. So people my age would remember him from Sioux City. Um, I don't know what his background was. I don't know if he was Hispanic. I don't know, uh, Middle Eastern, whatever. Um, it didn't matter when you were a kid. He was just the cop you looked up to. Big community service. Before there was even such a thing as community service. He was the guy. He was like the face of the Sioux City Police Department. And I miss him because he was just such a lovely guy. I uh, I believe he passed away some time ago. And the, also the other cop I remember was a guy named Norm Chronic. And I think he was with the dog squad, the canine squad. He was much older than me. I think he had a brother named Larry. He's more my age. But he was much older and also very popular there. Um, I think he had a couple run-ins with friends of mine uh, that might have done the wrong thing. But, um, you know, the police were good. I always I grew up thinking the police were to be respected and, and were good. So that just kind of popped into my head. Now, now, on the other hand, when I was at University of Colorado in Boulder, the law enforcement was headed up by the district attorney there by a name named Alex Hunter, who was pretty much a criminal on his own, alleged. I think you have to say alleged and things like that. And he's the one that botched and absolutely manhandled the John Benet Ramsey murder in 1996, the the little girl who was like the um, show queen girl that uh, the Ramsey family were blamed for her murder. In fact, the, the family was absolutely destroyed um, by Alex Hunter and uh, his team and the police there. And, of course, that murder has never been solved to this day. But... Um, that's an example of the wrong side of policing. The only really negative experience I had with police was in 1971 at Christmas time when I was driving from University of Colorado down to Houston for the then Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl that the University of Colorado was in and uh, playing University of Houston. And halfway down to Houston from Colorado, driving very, very fast with very long hair, maybe smoking something, I got pulled over by a Texas Highway Patrol man outside of Lubbock, Texas. And um, he looked a lot different than me. He was much larger and much darker and pulled over the car. My roommate from college at, at that time was with, was with me. And he leaned on the car and said, Son, how fast were you going? And I replied, well, one, I don't think you're my daddy. And two, you stopped me. So you probably know better. I spent that weekend in jail and missed the football game. And no, my late father did not bail me out. Um, that's a story we'll revisit in a future episode and how I learned to respect the police and respect everyone from all backgrounds especially if they're armed and have a badge. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! And I do have an ass-kicking outfit on today because my lovely wife took me shopping to get me a birthday present. Only 21, not even 21 days 19 days till my birthday on July 1st, which, as many of you know, 
It's the same day of Princess Diana's birthday, except I wear seatbelts. I don't sleep with Egyptians. And I make sure that my limo driver isn't drunk out of his mind. Big difference. Anyway, she took me shopping, and we went to a fantastic place called Harold's in the heart of Melbourne on Collins Street. Harold's has been there since 1985, and it's a family-owned business. Mary and Ross Pulakis own it. And they also have stores, I think, on the Gold Coast in Sydney, for those of you that know Australia. But it is just this delightful, gorgeous boutique family business. And they carry all kinds of brands. It's not cheap, but you know me. It's like art. It's value. And my wife treated me to an amazing Craig Green jacket. Now, I already had some Craig Green pants, and I quite love them. And I am wearing them right now. Craig Green is relatively new to the fashion scene by all regards, but uh, he won the British Fashion Awards, Menswear Designer Awards in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And in 2014, he actually won the British Fashion Award for the Emerging Menswear Designer. And more recently, Ridley Scott, director of Alien and uh, Gladiator and, and zillions of films, he chose Green to design costumes for Alien Covenant. Amazing clothing, very unique. And um, while at Harold's, you know, I always do a shout out for somebody special. Harold's is special, but even within the confines of Harold's is additional specialdom. A fellow we met named Patrick, who was the sales consultant there, who on a scale of one to 10 was about a 12 and a half, is one of the most knowledgeable people ever about fashion, uh, materials, history, what worked for my wife, what would work for me, things like that. And, And not doing that to be a bit of a wanker or full of myself. It was a a birthday treat and uh, very grateful for it. But the attention from Patrick and um, all the amenities and everything like that, absolutely fantastic. You know, I love that. When you you find someone that is a thousand percent dedicated to their craft, I'm big on that. Other people that uh, throw a lot like that is accountant Evan Lowenstein, who is also a big fan of the podcast. And Evan is fantastic. And we haven't had a lunch in a couple of months since the lockdown from the Unterscharfuhrer, but we're coming up with that, hopefully. And a good friend out in Bloity named Adam Bosworth, who lives in Saltair, West Yorkshire. And he's got a book coming out, which is coming out on the 10th of September, which is very interesting that we'll talk about in a future episode. And also the lovely Joe at Wink Optical in Elwood. Um, One of my family members was um, a bit ill and had uh, some serious optical problems during the lockdown. And she took a call and called back and kind of uh, walked us through some things ophthalmologically that need to be done. So very sweet, very professional. It's so wonderful to know people that are just the best of the best at whatever they do. And uh, I hope you're the best of the best at whatever you do. Commitment to excellence. Doesn't matter what you do. Secretary, garbage worker, actor, actress, accountant, grave digger, serial killer, whatever. Be the best of the best. Commit to excellence everywhere. And for those of you in the know, commitment to excellence 
is the tagline of the Oakland Raiders knee Las Vegas Raiders. Big year, big year as they debut in their new bazillion dollar stadium in Las Vegas. Lots of high hopes here for a longtime Raider fan. And for newcomers to the show, yes, it's always what your podcaster is wearing every week, because I do have a love of fashion and the history of it. It is wearable art, and like architecture or painting or anything else, or anything else that you create, it's something you can appreciate every day. It doesn't matter how expensive, how cheap. And that's one thing, by the way, that bothered me. I didn't mention it in last week's podcast about Jeffrey Epstein. What bothered me most, almost more than him grooming and having a Ponzi scheme and, and trafficking women, was that he was one of the worst dressed people I've ever seen and a billionaire. So you can be a billionaire and be that badly dressed. You should go to prison regardless. I don't care what you do. Just a note out there, up your game, up your game. Oh, by the way, and lastly, one thing that I forgot to tell you is what's on my hot little tiny size 13 feet, um, a pair of Nikes, a new pair of Nikes. Nike has a thing called Nike by you, where you go on the website and you select one of the four or five templates of basic shoes, and then you point and click and customize all the colors and laces and sides and everything. And uh, during the lockdown, I ordered a pair and they just came yesterday. And they're, uh, you'll see them in the show notes. They're amazing. They haven't even been outside on the pavement yet. Love them. Now, another one of my favorite segments, especially for you newcomers, is on this day, what happened on June 12th in history? Because history does repeat itself. Well, let me tell you, on this day in 1931, Al Capone was indicted on 5,000 counts of prohibition and perjury. 5,000 counts. That's like the fake Russia probe, the fake Mueller probe, or the bad FISA warrants that former Obama widget Attorney General Rod Rosenstein finally admitted on. We'll be talking about that next week. All of these falsehoods, whether you love or hate President Trump, this diabolical conspiracy and, and all this fake shit that has dogged him since the beginning. Anyway, but that was Al Capone. In 1942, Anne Frank got her diary as a birthday present in Amsterdam. Very famous diary. And uh, that's a person that definitely did, shouldn't have come out of the closet, as we all know. And in 1964, Nelson Mandela is sentenced to life in prison in South Africa. I can't believe it. If he'd had my podcast, that 20 years would have gone by like that. Just like that. Would have, he would have gone, I can't believe it. It's, it's actually quite nice being in here. Uh, he parked the car on the grass and I listen to Bobby's podcast. Robin Island is a nice place if it's got good Wi-Fi. But uh, he did get out um, and then reunited with Winnie Mandela. Frankly, I would have gone back in for 20 years. Also in film and TV, 1981, which is when my son Steve was born, on this day, Raiders of the Lost Ark premiered. What an astonishing film. Possibly Possibly my favorite, my favorite Steven Spielberg film. And on this day in sport, in 1880, some of you might remember this, Joe Biden does. In 1880, Joe Biden's still trying to find his way out of the men's room. In 1880, 
Worcester, I think it's pronounced Worcester, Worcester Ruby Legs pitcher Lee Richmond throws the first perfect game in Major League Baseball history in a 1-0 win over the Cleveland Blues at the Agricultural County Fairgrounds in Worcester or Worcester or however it's pronounced. And uh, it's good to say even back in 1880, Cleveland was losing at things. So, um, God, it's like he's reading this off the net. Of course I'm reading it off the net. Do you think I know this stuff by heart? Don't be a moron. Just, you know, be smart about it. Of course I am. It's how I deliver it. That's the difference. And what I drank last night is the same thing as I'll be drinking right after this show, which is a beautiful, beautiful glass of 12-year-old Yamazaki Japanese whiskey. Um... 12-year-old whiskey is okay. 12-year-olds, girls are not okay. Prince Andrew will learn that soon. But uh, fantastic whiskey from the lovely Bill at Celebrations in Elwood. Not from him as a gift. I had to, had to buy it some time ago. But uh, another real champion too. So I think that's going to kind of bring everything to a close here. I uh, promised a slightly shorter show. And I want to see how we all react to this week's festivities. Next week, I'm going to go through a couple of amazing movie stories. And uh, we're also going to be a bit heavy on the political and uh, find out why people with no brains like Brian Stelter and Rachel Maddow are still allowed to be broadcasting on TV. It's going to be educational. It's going to be hard-hitting. We, uh, we'll have the light stuff. We'll have the heavy stuff. We'll have the inspiring stuff. We'll have the dark stuff. And uh, there's been so much going on in the news, it's going to be hard to ignore exactly what's going on. Hey, what happened to climate change? What happened to the Wuhan flu? Um, yes, that is your house that is burning down. And no, there's no police to help you. So on that note, more than ever, more than ever, we all know it's nice to be important. But it's so much more important especially in these times, to be nice. Love you all. See you next week.